If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Today's guest is Di Schaefer. Di rode and represented her country Australia in the World Championships at Gawler three-day event, and she's also the mother of Wendy Schaefer, who people might remember as the youngest female to win Olympic gold in a three-day event. So we'd like to talk to Di about both of those things today. How are you today, Di? I'm very well, thank you, Glennis. Good, good. Di, we normally start with a favourite quote. What have you got? Well, number one is, I suppose, believe in the dream. Yes. But then I suppose that's also what Wendy would have said as well, because it, it was, I guess, where we went with her dream. Yes, yes. Um, and my dream, uh, I guess, to get to the World Championships in Gawler was where Wendy's dream started when she saw Ginny Ling and, and oh gosh, I forgot his name right now, um, winning the, the World Championships. And yes. she was there with me and saw that and that started her dream, which was so successful in achieving gold at, at Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So I suppose believe in the dream is the first one. Make it happen is the other one. Yes, yes. So it's sort of like have that visual but have the action steps as well. Yeah, well, you can't just dream about it. You've got to put some plan into action. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about your first memories with horses. You know, is it a hereditary thing because Wendy's got it, you've got it? Yeah, well, Wendy got it from me, but no no one knows where I got it from. (laughs) I only remember as early as a child that I always wanted horses and I'd watch the racehorses on the beach. So then I can remember my father saying, no, no, they're not nice people to go down to the beach at six o'clock in the morning. You could get damaged, little girl, and <laughs> ban me from doing it. So I would sneak out of my bedroom window at five o'clock in the morning when my father was always sound asleep <laughs> yeah. and go down to the racehorses and hold the racehorses, etc. And um, no, just did my Right, my horsey thing, wow. crawl back into the window by 7 because Dad never got up before 7.30 shower. <laughs> and how old were you at that stage? Oh, yeah, I suppose 10, 11, 12, yep. something yep. like that. Yes. Yeah, maybe you know, early teens. Um, and because from the racehorses there was a pony lead stallion and I was allowed to go to the racehorse stables to ride the pony lead stallion. So that yep. was my start. From there it went to a hunter and then a fast hunter and then someone said, do a one-day event. And so we started off a one-day event at novice level because that's where you started in mm, those mm, days, mm. not at 65, my God. <laughs> um, and that was sort of a, a chunga at the police barracks in Australia. And we would have got third if we hadn't got that last rail show jumping, but I'd never done much show jumping. So I learned then that actually you have to put a bit of work in and get some coaching if you want to get better. Okay, okay. So before then, though, you hadn't had any coaching? What did you do? Just learn to jump? Because when you say novice... I went hunting. Went hunting. When you say novice, what was the height of the novice fences? What were the dimensions? Metre 10. It's it's like one star now. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that's pretty pretty high to go to. Yeah, yeah. For your first event. No, 
I think fairly soon after that, they introduced pre-novice, which yes. was metre five. Yep. And it's only in recent years that we've gone down. Every year we've been, we've added a lower grade, 95, and then mm-hmm. a 80, and then a 65, and then a 50. And I believe New South Wales, they've even got a 45 centimetre <laughs> chart. It does seem to me that our sport has gone down rather than up. The very top riders are brilliant, but there's a vast world of lower levels. On the other hand, I guess that what that's done is made the sport much more universal and more achievable by everyone mm-hmm. because yes. nobody, not many people would ever make going straight into novice. Mm. And I, I can now see, you know, how many happy housewives are doing 45, 65, 80, yeah. but they yeah. don't really ever want to do a metre five. Or even a metre me ten. Yeah, there's a lot more going to competitions than actually the competitions. You know, it's a big social event. It's training for the horse. It's, yeah, I can really mm. see the benefit of having the lower levels to introduce. Mm. You know, if you think of a wider base to get to, you know, think of a pyramid and a wider base, mm. those those lower jumps and lower levels, even though, you, mm. you know, you sort of go, well, I'm not going to go even start my horse in them. But um, they, they mm. do, they help a lot of people, don't they? Oh, they do, yeah. and it's made our yeah. sport much more widely a participationary sport. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, you get much more government funding for juniors, young riders, um, participatory. Mm-hmm. We, we're seen as an elite sport when we look at our Olympic riders and our higher levels, and it's all seen like you know, it's elite, it's, um, you know, they've got money. Well, some of them do have, I suppose, because mm-hmm. nowadays if you got enough money and you can spend a million dollars and you can buy a, a top show jumper and hang on, then you can try and get to the higher levels. But at the end of the day, it's still, it still gets back to how well you ride. Um, every horse has to be ridden and no non-rider can really just get on a, a, a polished horse and achieve the, the ultimate. But yes, I can see that the grassroots is where the young ones come from, and particularly the juniors and young riders. And you know, we have a couple of young kids with ponies adjusting at our place, and um, now at the moment, and you can see them going through the grades, and it's quite interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Thinking about because you've seen a lot of people start off with their ponies to go through the grades to get started in the first place. What do you see are the core skills or the character trait people need? just to get started within eventing, within eventing as a sport. Do you mean what does the child with the pony Yeah, need? exactly, exactly. You know, for someone who's going to say, I want to go to my very first one-day event, what mm. sort of person would do that? What sort of character traits? I mean, they'd have to have a certain amount of character anyway to be riding. Yes, um, I, I see it as quite varied, actually. Yep. Uh, like we've got, let's say, uh, I've got two, say, 15-year-olds, a uh, 15-year-old and an 11-year-old mm-hmm. with horses that are our players, and yep. the 15-year-old is probably rather nervous and is needs a bit of support to decide to enter the 65 and then support to, oh, maybe you could go up to the 80, whereas the younger girl is much more a little gung-ho. Oh, yeah, the pony can do it. And then she finds, of course, when she goes to the event, well, then perhaps she's not quite old enough to quite train it well enough or quite do it well enough yet 
And so, yeah, I suppose it's... But, but you, in all cases, you need to, number one, have a love of horses mm-hmm. because you've got to get up early in the morning. You've got to have the desire to put in the work if you want to compete. And, um, yeah, I think that it's mostly you, you've got to want to compete and you've got to want to do horses because mm-hmm. it's time-consuming, it's um, um, often dark or raining or whatever. You've, you know, you don't do it if you're a wuss. Yes, yes, yeah. Di, what's the best thing about three-day eventing or eventing as a sport compared to other horse sports? I believe it's the friendliness amongst okay. the competitors. Yep. yep. There's quite a feeling of commandery, <laughs> whatever the word, gosh. Sure. Um, yeah, togetherness. Yep. Yes. Um, like we will often take up with seven horses, say three of ours and four adjusted horses that are perhaps being helped by our riders and they'll all help each other. They'll for each other, they'll help each other around, they'll each other around cross country and be just as excited when one of them wins as when the other one wins. Yep. Or, or yep. places. Mm-hmm. So the, yeah, I find that eventing, I've always found that eventing has been a really friendly sport. Yep. I've made most of my best friends through eventing through over the Yep, yep, good. Just thinking about people who've influenced you and helped you in your career. You know, who's helped you? Who's mm. Because you went to that first event, you know, jumping over a metre ten at the police barracks, and I think you said you would have come third but got a rail down and then decided, okay, I'm going to go and get a coach. You know, who's helped you along the way and who's helped you maybe not as a coach but just to influence you and help you in your career? Um, I suppose that the most influential person in me was my uh, – a Dutch lady who came to Australia yes. and set up in South Australia as a coach called Mary Overs. Mm-hmm. She gave a, a coaching clinic at the police barracks at Ichunga fairly shortly after I did my first event there and I took my horse there to her. And I guess we developed quite a camaraderie and, you know, we're quite friendly over the years and I, you know, that hurt days were and so it was um, Mary Hovis was my first influence in okay. dressage and riding cross country and jumping. Um I guess I was then heavily influenced by Wayne Roycroft. Yes. And um, yes. who was a national coach for so many years. Uh had some contact with Lucinda Green mm-hmm. um when she came out to Australia early on in my career and often had influence from Lucinda throughout. Um, but probably Wayne was the, after Mary, Wayne was the man in my career. And both of these, Mary was Wendy's first coach in research until she ended up being judging when too often a place <laughs> like Bob. So he had to change coaches and... And, of course, Wendy went to Wayne from the age of about a 10-year-old with a good pony. Mm-hmm. So she had a very long history with Wayne as well because Geraldton used to bring Wayne over every summer for, for clinics yep. at, at the Ranella Grounds. Okay. Okay. What about, and now we've already talked about Sunburst, what, are, what other horses have influenced you? Tell us about the horse you rode at Gawler at the World Championships. 
Uh, Sunhill Cloud was a angler of horse that I bought as a weanling. Yep. Um, I think under the influence of a fairy, was a horse just broke in all these beautiful looking angler Arabs that sold them all. But I said, oh, and we know of a weanling. So we bought it. And he helped me break it in. Mm-hmm. And then it suddenly had some some problems slipped off of the side and a certain woman and vet came and looked at it and took one look at it standing in a box and said, that'll never like anything. <laughs> um, and I said, oh, it's well bred. It's by Silver Cloud. It's lovely. Arab. And right over there and said, it's so, so badly put together. It will never do anything, let alone event. Well, it got to the World Championships. Yes. It's nice to prove people wrong, yeah. Perseverance, yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, he was just such a good cross-country horse. He was mm-hmm. a machine over cross-country. If I could point him in the right direction and keep the right balance, he would jump anything. And I, he taught me so much because I started off knowing just about nothing. Yep, yep. Was that your proudest moment when you when you rode at the World Championships? For me, certainly, yes, but mm-hmm. I don't know whether it rates above watching Wendy win at Atlanta. Yes, yes, okay. But yeah, both of those two things would, you know, rate pretty well in my horsey memory. Yep, yep. Because thinking about people and, and being very proud when your daughter has done well, really your parents are the, your first sponsors as a child. You know, for child riders, like you said, you had, had him, her going to Wayne as a young child. Yes. Mm. What can parents do? What do you think if you're going to give a message to parents that have got children who are riding, you know, and everyone wants their child to do well, they may not all get to the Olympics and win gold and be the, the youngest female, or the you know, to win gold, but what can they do to help their kids and to support their kids with their riding and with their competitions? Mm. I suppose I learned from my mistakes riding at World Championships, how little I'd known and to get there. And so I suppose that if a child is seriously um, dedicated to horses, wants to compete and do as well as they can, whatever level that might be, then I would think it's better to not rely on a pony club or just some, you know, equestrian riding school to teach them because I think a level of the instruction is perhaps not geared to high-level competition or training the child well enough. I think they should find a mentor, uh, that is, find a rider that all the teachers that they most admire in the local area and specifically like okay. Jones, for instance, has made a career out of teaching um, to front row competition horses. Yes. And has done very well with a large list of young children, young children, older children and, and juniors and young riders that have gone on mm. and done well because they've gone a rider that they admired and respected and have learned from and tried to follow in their footsteps. Yep. Um, yep. I suspect that uh, when you're too busy competing a truck of horses to take weekends off competing to do as much coaching as Megan did. Yep. Not that Megan has made that her career and Wendy's went in a different direction. Sure. So that whether it's, you know, you go on to Olympic 
silver medalist or Wendy Shaft gold medalist or mm-hmm. Stuart Kenny or Shane Rose or yep. any of these riders, if they live near you, then try and get them as coach is one mm-hmm. thing. Yes. But it doesn't have to be a gold medalist either. Mm-hmm. It can be any rider. Let's say just a one-star rider that's doing very nicely yes. with their horses. They're trained. They go well. You don't see them ripping and tearing and being rough. They look like it's easy and ask them for lessons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, that's good. So really you're looking for someone. It's not just about the winning. It's about how you how you work the horses and how you um, look after your horses during the event as well. Yes, mm. I think you've you've got to be an all round horse person. You can't just pack it up and get one. The child needs to want to brush her horse and get up herself. And yep. Do everything with form a bond. Your early horses that you form the best bond with. No, I guess Wendy had some birth for ten years through Pony Club to an Olympic Games. It's an amazing Pony Club story, if you like. Yeah, yeah. But you've got to have the desire to be with the horse and to do the work on the horse and not have others do it for you, which is what happens as you get to be a you know, top rider and you've got a whole stable full, well, then that is what happens. Mm-hmm. You have grooms and such, but you can't start that way. Yes, You have to yes. embark horsemanship and to notice if your horse looks a bit off or has a bit of swelling or things like that. Um, okay, okay. What about, because um, you're out competing and you see a lot of parents, and parents do a lots of different variety, you know, to be really involved, to be I'll just drive and pull up and then you look after it. What do you think is a fault that you might see with parents? Because everyone's going to be different and the kids are all going to be different ages with different experience and different capabilities. But what's an actual fault that you think that you see and you just, you know, you might cringe a bit and say, oh, you know, that's not supporting your child. It might be a bit detriment to your child. What do you think that would be? Hmm. I suppose I've never really thought about these things, Glennis. You're hitting <laughs> me with things I've never thought about. Um, I suppose the most criticism you get of parents is the pushy parent, yep. the one that pushes the child. Mm-hmm. And you do see that. Um, you do see children that, well... Uh, children is a bit small word. I don't really notice. So young young riders young, or juniors. Until yeah. they're juniors, young riders sure. in the equestrian EA system because I don't go to the lower things much. But primarily as a, as a junior or a young rider, you'll see kids that are, they're bought a horse that's, mm-hmm. been a, that's been there and done that and they're expected to achieve on it themselves. They feel pressure because they've got a horse that's better than they are. And sometimes they're a little scared, honestly, and are having trouble getting that through to their parents, I suppose. Yep. Or the expectations are weighing heavily on their shoulders. And there are a number that look like they're going to go really well and go up to the top as they're 14, 15, 16, and then they fall in a heap. And it's that either that they've been overfaced or mm-hmm. pushed a little hard and haven't achieved. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I think that that is something you do see. Okay. Or they've okay. got one really good horse, and when they when that good horse falls away, they haven't got anything underneath it, behind it, and they don't have the skills to train it without 
more help than they're getting perhaps mm-hmm. and therefore they don't bring the next horse up to any sort of level. Okay. Okay. So you're sort of going back then and you're looking for a coach or a, someone who's in your local area that could be their mentor. To help, yes, to help them bring a young horse on. I mean, yeah. it's a skill to, yeah. and you need some feeling to bring, you know, let's say, a thoroughbred off the track up to being a sensible ride to compete on at eventing that's yes. safe. Yes. Yeah. So thinking about horses for a young rider and Di, the reason I'm asking this is because some of our listeners are going to be parents and they want to get mm. some advice from a parent who's, I mean, having a parent that's ridden at the World Championships and then, then the daughter comes along and wins gold at the Olympics, you know, that's a pretty unique combination. So this partnership between the parent and the competitor, you know, I think it's an important partnership and I think it's important to get your advice on it. And that's why I sort of keep throwing in all these questions, yeah. Um Schoolmaster. Should they get a schoolmaster? Should they get the young thoroughbred? When should they get which horse? Right, yeah. Okay. Um, mostly your children will mm. come up with a pony, whether yes. it's gone to pony club or whether it goes straight to EA. is but different these days because mm-hmm. now you can start competing at EA when you're 12 or less or whatever, even mm-hmm. eight. I think. But um, whether it's whether it's Pony Club or Equestrian Australia, it doesn't really matter. It's you have the pony, you learn your basic skills. I think that children should be encouraged to do multiple things with their horses, not just focus on one thing. I think that too many are trained only in dressage arenas mm-hmm. or big flat areas, and they don't get out into the hills and the gales and they don't race around on bush ponies like we did as kids, yep. I think that there's too many city-living parents and children that don't ever learn to ride on the seat of their pants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons that cross-country riding is is a problem at the lower levels. There's, there's, there's a lot of unskilled riders that need more training to be safe. Mm-hmm. And okay. they, even if that training is learning to gallop up and down hills and learn their own balance, yes, I just don't think that people get out of the arena and train on the hills and countryside and pop up and down cross country and banks and little ditches and logs and things on the ground. You can train so easily anywhere almost. Mm, you can get mm. into a big paddock. Yep. But I don't think that they're doing enough of that because I don't see people with sufficiently good balance of, mm-hmm. I think too much arena and too much dressage not that you can't you can't get away with not doing it but you should do everything when you're young yes on the pony and, and such because galloping around on the seat of your pants as you said teaches riding mm. skills and balance and all that yeah. but it's fun if you're out riding on ponies and mm. you know mm. your friends are as well and you're all racing around and so long as the ponies are safe and you know you don't do anything too crazy but it's a lot of fun just racing around and playing games with your ponies like that. Yes, it, yeah. it is. And and that's what actually that's what gets you started in the sport. It's got to be yes. fun. Yes. It exactly. shouldn't be a chore. Mm. It shouldn't be daily lessons. Yep. That creates a false impression and a false riding skill there. They're fine when they're on the flat surface, but they can't cope when it goes down a hill. Mm-hmm. So the, I think that's one, number one, the first thing. The pony and the first horses should do everything, okay. and the child should learn all those things. Yep, yep. 
And that that's the sort of one you'd want a schoolmaster. You want a schoolmaster type pony, one that's been there, done that. Yep. Ah, uh, both. And mm. with a young child, it's great if you can get a schoolmaster. Yep. But even if they've got one that's not done so much, I suppose, they just need more help with it, don't they? Yes. Okay. So that's a balance, isn't it? If the horse is a bit greener, they do need more help and, and probably yeah. someone mm. to help them work with the horse. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, the next step is, though, is the change from pony to horse. Mm-hmm. And I see too many want to go from a little pony to a great big 16-plus hand horse okay. without any thought of its training or whether it's suitable or whether it's had any... Uh, there, there probably is the need for the schoolmaster in between mm-hmm. the horse. Mm-hmm. And the schoolmaster may well be a, a biggish horse, but it's been there, done that, maybe quite old, might, but like this particular, eighth particular 15-year-old has just gone out and bought an old two-star horse that's 16, it's well over, it's over 16 hands, it's a bit big for her, but it just goes plod, 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 that's the fence, okay, I'll jump it. Yeah. And yeah. that would teach this 15-year-old who's a little nervous very well. Yes. And it gives them confidence if they can go out and 80 and go around clear and place well that's the start of a career because they're happy and they're they're enjoying what they're doing if they're on a bit of a rip tear pony or a rip tear thoroughbred off the track and they don't enjoy it well then they're going to leave the sport mm-hmm. so that i think the step from the do everything pony to the first horse is a very important one mm-hmm. And the schoolmaster is the perfect in-between. Yep. You shouldn't be going out replacing the pony with a horse that you think will go to four-star. Yes. And that's the mistake that I find. It's quite often difficult to sell a horse that's sort of a bit average mm-hmm. and would be a really safe conveyance up a metre five, mm-hmm. but it's never going to be a novice one-star horse or go on. But it has a, it has a place in teaching teenagers and young riders how to do the sport and how to do it safely. Yep. And then they're ready for the next one or they should get or they can have a young one coming up underneath that one because then they won't rush the young one. As long as you've got a schoolmastery sort of horse that will show you the ropes, then you can would be spending more time with a young one getting more more training or teaching or having a um your mentor or a rider who who rides your young horse and takes it out to its first few competitions and gets it a bit trained for you for the child to then go on to it. So there's various ways of getting the child onto a proper competitive horse that might go on and and do one star in the star classes. Okay, okay. Well, I think that was a good explanation. I think you went through quite a lot there, so it was good. And you've talked about the local coach, you know, going to a local coach, especially one that's already been there, done that. What if there isn't a local coach who's been competing at even one star? What can they do? Mm. What What should they look for? And this is someone who's just on a pony, just starting to ride. What should they be looking for? You know, because it, eventing is a is a very much a confidence sport. So as you said, you know, you get the biggest schoolmaster that can point them at the fence, builds up the rider's confidence, and the rider enjoys it. So you want the rider to keep enjoying it. What can they do when they're still at the pony stage? What should they be looking for in a coach if there's no 
one star or competitive coach or something around in their local areas? What other skills or what other traits should they look for in their local coach? Oh, you got me stumped there, I'm afraid. I'm not, <laughs> you mean that they're so far away, from, they're in the bush, they're yeah, not got knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're the kids that are you know, dedicated, that want to compete. They're, they're usually dedicated and self-motivated enough mm-hmm. yep. themselves to to do that sort of training, the seat of the pants stuff, what yes. they can do yes. themselves. Okay. When they come down to do a – I mean, we've had, you know, people that will come from sort of Port Augusta or something. Let's mm-hmm. say. They live there. They haven't got anyone to help them much up there, but they've got a horse that they've galloped around the bush and they want to do some eventing. They might come down – uh, a day or two early to do a, an event such as Ranella or a local, in the local area here. Yep. And um, they might come down for an extra day early, early or so and stay at our place for a day okay. and have a lesson from Wendy. That's sort of thing that we used to do. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd say the same thing for people that come down. We'd have a, a lesson from our one-star rider yep. who's now doing quite a bit of coaching of young kids. It, I suppose it's just when you go to competitions – then you sort of see the people around the competitions and you, I suppose try and find someone mm-hmm. that you admire that you can set up a, you know, some sort of a relationship with yep. to yep. come and stay with on, on the way to a yes. competition or from a competition to help you with the things that went wrong in that competition. Yes, yes. Okay. And to give you things to work on at home. You know, not everyone can have a weekly lesson mm. and it's those that are self-taught possibly, that, that go the furthest because they've got just that much more want to do it about it. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Tell us about Wendy's book about Sunburst. You know, I know it's not published yet. Do you know anything else <laughs> uh, about it? I suppose this is some, it's been an ongoing saga. Yeah. <laughs> We've tried to have it published sometimes. When he wrote a book, um, when Sunburst died, it was a fairly traumatic experience because he was sort of something and something happened in a paddock in New South Wales, and it was just the uh, just after he'd come home from Atlanta and gone to Melbourne and been yeah adored by the crowds, and mm-hmm. he'd been up to Sydney show jumping, and, and suddenly he broke his leg and he was gone. Mm. And um, I guess she came home and as part of the grieving process, she wrote a book about it. Mm-hmm. But I guess we then tried to get publishers. And I suppose it was the time that Jill Rowan had written her book and everyone said, oh, you know, yours is just a pony club story. It's just for kids. Make it a kid's book. And I guess that wasn't what she had in mind and mm. never quite got published that then at all. And then it got resurrected and we looked at it again about – 15 years later, mm-hmm. and a publisher was going to make an online book of it. Yep. And then he ended up selling the publishing and going back to England and <laughs> it all fell in a big hole again. And we've still got it sitting around. Um, the unpublished saga. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we should talk to you about it. And um, if listeners are interested, they could uh, contact us or have a look on Di's page and we'll could give you an update there on horsechats.com slash Di Schaefer. Yeah, yeah. Di, what are you looking forward to at the moment? You've got some kids that you're teaching. You said there was one there who was doing quite well making with the horse business. 
Yes. Well, Wendy got married and went to England, which wasn't her mother's plan. Um, however, the good news is that she will be back fairly soon, in the yeah. next few year or so, or whatever. But, yes, she ended up in England with all the horses over there. <laughs> but she left quite a few in the paddock at home. And I guess some part of the deal I made with my daughter was, well, you have to come back every year and ride at Adelaide. And there's a couple of horses back home that are still sort of ticking along and we had were ridden by other riders and competed by other riders. Um, and Wendy was able to come back and ride them. Of course, it didn't always go exactly to plan, but the, it sort of vaguely worked. And she has come back each year and ridden either at Adelaide or round Adelaide or off to Wallaby Hill or whatever, or Camperdown or Lax and Gratis. So it, that has happened. But uh, after a little while of finding the right person, we've now got a, a girl who's living on the property mm-hmm. so it's and renting some of my paddocks so that she has her part. Yes. And for that, she helps me with my horses and the adjusted horses. And the aim was to develop a small business with teaching and um, – breaking in horses and things like that. So she's ended up with the ride on two horses that have gone from 95, no, even short, less than that, well, 95 up to one star with her riding them, them over the past two years, mm-hmm. two and a half years, I suppose. Yep. And when Wendy comes home, she gets one of them back and Rochelle keeps the other one. <laughs> and the horses were both going scheduled to go to Melbourne next week with Rochelle riding um, in the One Star at the three-day event. So that's what we're looking forward to at the moment. And okay. um, as I say, Rochelle has really worked very hard and has competed so well and looked good and had the horses looking good and has brought up some young horses herself as well of hers mm-hmm. um, and has ridden clients' horses in competing them for and has built up a nice little business doing that. So I guess it, the message is that if you're dedicated enough and you um, train yourself well enough and you present yourself well and you compete well, then people will eventually come to you for lessons and help you make a business. I'm just thinking, because it's a bit more than that, Di. You know, you've got someone there who's got part of your property and you're obviously sending some business. So you're like a sponsor to her. So coming from like that point of view, what are you looking for? What did you first think when you met Rochelle? How long have you known her? And what were the traits that stood out in Rochelle that you thought, I think I'll offer her some opportunities? Mm, yeah. Well, firstly, how did, we, how did it happen? I suppose Rochelle applied for a job straight out of school with mm-hmm. Wendy and it was, oh, come on over and we'll see you at Camperdown. And you can help groom there. Yep. So she did that and she survived. <laughs> and she was keen to come back again. Good. So she then applied for the job that Wendy was going to take horses overseas the following year. And 2011, I suppose it was. But you know, And she came over to our place and started working with Wendy and that, they got on fine. But Wendy had also got a, a Brazilian bloke to come as well who had lots of experience with grooming in, in Europe. And then she took the Brazilian and Rochelle was quite devastated that she didn't get the trip away but the idea was well you stay here and we have a manager who's a who was a British trained um, instructor mm-hmm. she's going to help you with your riding a lot and you're going to get all this riding of all of Wendy's young horses because Wendy's only taking the top few and so Rochelle spent two years with our manager who was British trained instructor 
developing her riding because she came to us as a really attractive dressagery rider yes. who had never jumped. Yes, and okay. now she's looking a very good jumping rider as well. Through some help with various people such as Jamie Coleman and her own good friend is Adam Crouch, who's not known at all as a an instructor, but is amazingly very good at instructing. He's mm-hmm. a show jump rider himself and has um, not had the talent of some people, like Wendy, who's talented and doesn't know how she does it, so maybe doesn't teach as well. Not, not I shouldn't run Wendy down, but some, some people who ride at gold medal level can't teach because they do it so automatically. Yes. If yes. you haven't, yeah. you've had to work at getting the skills of making your horse go correctly, then you're sometimes better at teaching it mm. than the mm. really good rider. Adam falls a bit into that category. He's also helped Rochelle with her riding as well as Jamie Coleman and um, some dressage help and this and that. She, yeah, she's just a young 25-year-old, I think now, mm-hmm. who's been with us for two years, went away to England for a whole year yep. and got some jobs riding there um, rather than grooming, so she was lucky. Came back, had her own horses for a while, and then various various life change things happened. She came back to work on our place, not as a groom or as my employee, but on a part-time basis to help out with me in the morning early, mm-hmm. doing the feeding and such, and riding what two horses of mine. And then the rest of the day, she works on her own business. Yeah, yeah. And that seems to have worked out well for both of us. So. Yeah. Yeah. If it doesn't work for both of you, it doesn't happen, does it? Well, I think, you know, I think the things that you're saying there is she did apply for a job straight after school. She was obviously mm. reliable as a groom. And mm. the fact that she had the couple of years jumping, she obviously put something in it, was focused. And, you know, there's quite a few traits reading between the line that she has, which is why you've kept her there. I think I can put it into some words like yeah. reliable, yes. hardworking, uh-huh. focused yep. and dedicated the horses, yeah, yeah, and good horse person. I think in the time she came back after England, she spent some time working at Cambula Stud with Thoroughbreds. Yes. And doing so well there that she was the um, the leader at all these sales, the racehorse sales, mm-hmm. and now she's got a permanent job. Every time a racehorse sales comes, people call for Rochelle to come <laughs> and do that. So I have to give her a week off so she can earn more money. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 okay. But but yes, it's it's an example of a young girl yes. with no family backing or history in horses, who's been able to make her own way. Yep. She makes good decisions. She's mm. very realistic. She's just brought a young horse up and decided, well, it's not going to be a four star horse. I'm going to sell it now while it's worth some money, mm-hmm. and she's sold it on. A little bit unlike me, who looks at a horse and says, "Oh, but it might." Be a <laughs> we won't sell that one just in case. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Ah, dear. All right, yeah. Look, I think that's great. I think you've sort of pretty much described, so people that are looking to work in the horse industry, you've pretty much described the traits but also the types of opportunities that you can offer and people take advantage of. So they may think, I'm already a good rider, I want to go into a high-paying job, but to go in just as a groom for someone and to learn and to have the opportunity to learn, to get jumping lessons instead of necessarily going into a high-paid job, but then that also offers you opportunities like being able to go overseas and run your own business on someone else's property. I think that's been really good, yeah. yeah. Yes, I guess that's the thing here. We yeah. do have a cross-country training course, and so Rochelle can teach people on the hills as and well. things like that as well yep. as yep. in an arena. Mm-hmm. It's a good facility. 
Yeah, I think that the working pupil stage, it's not for everyone. Some people, you've got to be happy with hard work Mm. and long hours and little pay. But it's an experience that you can't duplicate any other way. And you do get things in kind. You do get a trip, you know, your horse on the truck Mm. Mm. or lessons with a top coach or this or that as well as the um, the learning you might get from the top rider. For sure. And even at the lower levels, it, it's something that you know people should look at doing. Mm. I know of a good rider now who's a three-star rider who just offered to go and help somebody else and ride horses with them just to have more riding experience because she only owned two horses. Okay. She would yep. go and ride four for somebody else and learn from that. So that there's many ways of improving your riding and um, taking opportunities, yes. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's been good. I think that you've certainly given us a bit of an insight and, um, you know, coming from a slightly different point of view from a mother but also a sponsor. So that's great, Di. I think, um, yeah, it's, I think it's been really good talking to you today. You've, you've brought in quite a few different um, bits that people may not have heard before. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, thank you, Glynis. It's been lovely talking to you. Good to talk to you too, Di, and hopefully we'll talk to you again sometime soon. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.